you do when you're facing challenges to remember that God is all there is? How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. By connecting the dots, what we are referring to is the importance of thinking about how all the different things we've talked about fit together. Like, what's the connection? What is the, you know, connection between, obviously we know God is always the connection, But what's the connection between the different things we focus on in the course of our week? So last episode we talked about integrity, and today our topic is the breath of God. So I'm just wondering what the connect the dots is with that. Leslie, stop coughing. Can you hear me? Oh, wow. Wow, that's an interesting voice, isn't it? Oh, wow. <laughs> integrity with the breath of God. You know, last week we were talking about integrity kind of being, for me, being in the being. Don't look at me like that with my little voice. Be, be reassuring that my voice is just fine. It is. Affirming, it's a perfect voice. Eventually it will come back. Um, the idea of integrity connecting to the breath of God, the breath of spirit. It's strangely easy for me in a way because integrity comes through the breath of God. I think if I'm in integrity, then I'm in that flow of the breath of spirit doing. The breath of spirit to me seems like an action word or an action phrase. 
which is an interesting concept we'll talk about later. But and so acting in integrity kind of awakens that or keeps that at play. So the idea of integrity, I see integrity as one of the um, symptoms of the breath of God. If you're looking at it like a like a disease. <laughs> You know, they said denial is a symptom of alcoholism. So there's all sorts of things underneath the breath of God, and I think integrity is one of those. Do you hear my voice coming back? See, it just needs to talk. It doesn't like not to talk. I must not have talked enough this morning. My voice likes to talk. Okay, so that's a really good <laughs> connect the dots for today, connecting integrity with the breath of God. <clears throat> We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this little break with more from Say Yes to Spirit. You're listening to Say Yes to Spirit with Tracy and Leslie. And our theme today is the breath of God. The breath of God. And um, I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, Science of Mind, which has been uh, sort of the practice, the spiritual community that I've been involved with for a number of years, and, and um, Tracy is uh, involved in that. And... Um, one of the things that they really drill into, I feel, is they drill into this idea that, you know, God is not a man. It's, you know, the Christian idea or the male pronoun or I kind of, when I first started going to classes, I kind of got this kind of jolt of, you know, if I try to say any kind of adjective or any kind of anything associated with God that would make it seem human in its form, that there seems to be a big kind of wave of, it's not that. Don't say that. And so some of my natural language um, around spirit, I felt like was being said, don't do that. So when I first hear the breath of God, I think, oh, science of mind wouldn't like that. Because it's, it's, it's saying that God's breathing. <laughs> and God can't, God can't be breathing. God is, not a, God is not a thing that could breathe. But, uh, but I really find... Um, comfort, I guess, in the idea of the breath of God, and I I find, I have an easy um, sense of God coming to me through my breath. Uh, I work at you know, the Dallas County Jail, and we do a lot of, um, I teach them in a lot of different breathing techniques, and um, it is fascinating for me when I can remember <laughs> in emotional sort of spirals or downfalls when I can just remember my breath and take 
control of my breath. What I always talk about to the women is, isn't it fascinating? It's the one thing that can really shift all things within me, my energy, my thoughts, my feeling, my physical well-being, my emotional well-being, is my breath. I have to go to a therapist and pay a therapist. I don't have to wait till Sunday to go to church. I don't so isn't that fun that the divine design would have the thing that could just right all the wrongs within me, free and available to me all the time, but I have to remember, right? I have to activate it. I have to do something, but it's completely within my control. So I'm really into that concept of that the breath is kind of the conduit back to the being and that... Uh, I don't know, that whole image of, you know, God doing mouth-to-mouth with me is okay with me, too. Breathing <laughs> really the breath of... That's kind of funny. <laughs> That's very funny. That's very funny. Isn't it very... <clears throat> I'm sure some people would say it's very sacrilegious, but... Or blasphemous, even. But, but it's very funny. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that is interesting. Um, I think the, the breath of God, for me also, I, I go to the breath of life. Um, the breath of God is the breath of life. I not, I'm not a live human form if I am not breathing. And I don't create my breath. I don't create something that allows me to breathe. I don't create any of that. And so it is God's energy and God's wisdom of how to make all this stuff work, that with every breath I am taking, especially as you described, every conscious breath that I am taking, I am actually connecting into my life force, which is God itself. And, um, And in that sense, I don't see, in that sense, it's not, there's not a separation between me and God. It's God breathing through me, God breathing as me, the breath of God being my breath and the gift of life. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. And <laughs> before we started the show, it was so funny, I had this little tag of a song, you know how songs stick in your head, head, right, or come into your mind, and and I kept thinking, there's that song, you are the breath of God, you are the breath, but, well, no, and so I'm singing the song, I'm singing the song, I'm thinking, and I can hear the tune, the melody in my head, you are the breath of God, I hold you in my, it's like, wait a minute, that's not, those aren't the words, it's you are the face of God. Is the actual song oh, that Karen Drucker's But because I knew we were going to oh, be talking about funny. the breath of God, it was like that came into my head. It's like you are the face of God. Uh-huh. But literally for about ten minutes. That, <laughs> you know, the, just that one line, <laughs> in, right, the mm-hmm. tune in that one line of the song um, with the words, you are the breath of God. And it's, it's equally true as you are the face of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing, that you are, I am, we are the face of God in physical form, mm-hmm. that we're showing up 
the with the with the opportunity to be a representation of God-like qualities in our life, and that sense we're the face of God. Um, but in reality, it's, it is the same concept. I am every time I breathe, I am breathing the breath of God, or I am God expressing in a physical form. And you know, it's kind of back to my favorite thing, one of my favorite things. I'm not going to say Oprah. But the four kingdoms, the idea of um, first we kind of live in a victim state, things happen to me. Then I kind of, and I'm going to forget them, so start thinking and trace so you can uh, correct me. The first time a victim things happen to me, then um, then I become a participant and I understand that I'm co-creating what's happening and I'm a co-creator to things. And then I get this uh, next step of having this idea that God's coming through me, exactly what you said, which is what reminded me of it, this idea that the breath of God, that God's coming through me, I'm a conduit, I'm, I'm an opening for him to come through me. And then that final one, oh, look, I remembered them all. That final one is God as me, right? That God's coming up from within me, through me. And I think that between the third and the fourth one is where I just loop. Because getting into Al-Anon at an early age, saying the, saying the third step prayer every day, forever and ever, which was, you know, God use me, God do with me, God be with you, be as me. And I'm really clear in my therapy work. The emptying myself out, letting God work through me. I've seen how that works. I'm very impressed by God. He does great work. Um, or it, if we can't give it that pronoun of a he. But it does great work. So, um, so I'm real clear and conscious of how that works, God coming through me. So this thing of God as me, now when I, like, I'll get on my knees and pray or something, I used to, you know, I would have this kind of image or imagery of my hands opening and feeling the sense of God coming like from the heavens above, from the clouds. And as I'm trying to shift to this fourth consciousness, I'll put my hand on my, like right above my belly button, and I'll, I'll try to shift my consciousness to, oh, God's right there. God's inside that source plexus or whatever it is. I'm, what is that, your diaphragm? I have no idea. Whatever that part of me right there. And I have this image of the light or God there, right? And it's coming up through me. And so to make that a conscious thing is um, where I kind of loop and where I have to do some quote-unquote work, my favorite thing. And um, I really kind of see, I like the idea of the breath because that's where the breath is. I do know that's the diaphragm. Because when I talk to the women about breathing, we do practice breathing through the diaphragm. So... The idea of that being the core, the locus of spirit in the breath, in the diaphragm, brings it inside of me. So that would be another kind of way of me being able to have an image, pull that image of spirit within. Looking into that fourth kingdom, where I want to walk through walls eventually. Ye of Luther. I I hope you. Well, continue to have this human experience for a long time. <laughs> However, if your human experience ends before mine, <laughs> I promise you. Do you walk through a wall? No, 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 no. I promise you, at the memorial service, <laughs> I will, whether I'm on the program or not, <laughs> yeah, you say I you will, will find a way. Yes, yes. To say, 
And what I celebrate today <laughs> is that Leslie now has walked through every wall. <laughs> what is that about me? Why am I fixated on that? There must be some metaphor to that. I'm sure there is. Some deeper something I'm trying to walk through or get through. I often have this image that, that all I need to do is turn a page. If I could just turn one more freaking page, then I'd be it. That would be all I need. I have come so far. My book is so full. I have done so much. Surely it's just one more page, and the damn thing won't turn. <laughs> if I could just... Yeah, why the hell is it just such a cruel joke? But anyway, that's I have that image as well. One more page, and then I can walk through that wall. One more page. Yeah, all right. And so maybe the breath, maybe if I focus on the breath. No, let's not focus on if I just take one more breath. I'll be oh, yeah, there you go, that's true, that's true. Yeah, no, let's, let's not invite that one. Let's not invite that one. The breath of God. So there is a, um, there is a quote in his hand, his capital H, in God's hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In his hand, in God's hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. It's a scripture from the book of Job, chapter 12. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. And um, and it's interesting because sometimes just the phrase the breath of God makes it sound like it's um, it is an external breath, right? Um, and I I love this quote because and it's not just the breath of so far we've talked about the breath of man, uh-huh. the breath of a human, human, um, but really it's the life of every living thing, and then because we breathe in that way, that it is the life of us. So if we are not breathing, we are not living, not alive. It's sort of the great equalizer in a way, too. Everybody breathes. Everybody has that uh, that um, in common. The one thing that, like you said, without that we don't have physical life, but that there's a deeper spiritual. I know um, somebody somewhere along my path of all the things I've done to turn all the pages I've turned and do all the work I've done and be as far along as I am. Did that sound bitter and resentful? But anyway, somewhere I heard this concept of breathing in colors. And if I'm having physical unwellness or uh, feeling, you know, something in my body not right, that I could <clears throat> breathe in a color, see it going to that part of my arm or leg or head or whatever's hurting stomach and, you know, have the color swirling around within the physical element that's painful and then breathe that out. And so sort of, you know, doing a, an energetic swishing of clearing out whatever is going on in my body that's in discomfort. And so that always gave me this idea, this concept of breath as a healing tool, as a healing tool, as a, you know, ability to 
alter my physical well-being as well. Mm-hmm. Which would be another kind of way that spirit would just divinely give us what we need. Well, and that what's interesting about that, and I actually do believe that, you know, in, in color therapy, whether it's visual or mental or, you know, I believe that our, in our humanity there are certain patterns, just like certain vibrations and certain energies that we respond to. Mm-hmm. And so, so I believe that, and at the same time, it's kind of like... Um, it's almost we write a lot of fairy tales mm, true to give ourselves systems or patterns that over time become our culture or our way of being or breathing and believing not breathing but believing so part of me is like well yeah just because we believe that oh if I send blue light to yeah, that oh, part yeah, of, of my body. Right, right, right. You know, same thing where I send blue, I breathe the color blue into that part of my body. Part of it is you believe it. Right. Um, so guess what? Absolutely, of course, yes. It is going to have a positive impact because that's the belief that you have given it. So um, so it's kind of, I'm, I'm like, Saying both things both at, the, yeah. at the same time, it's like, oh, I actually do believe that works, and um, and do I think it's that's the innate or, or natural essence of it, or or do I believe it is simply our way? It's it's the story we've told now for centuries. And so it's in our genetic DNA, even if we didn't consciously read something about it. I don't know. So that's, that's an interesting ponder in, in how the breath, and, and how, the, you know, whether it's a physical thing and a spiritual thing, if it works on both levels, I would imagine it is the both and, those favorite things, but that's very difficult for me to understand the both and kind of concept. And... Um, my most extraordinary friend talks a lot about the idea of breathing and, you know, calming the body down and being able to, you know, center or work through physical pain or physical discomfort. And it's really a reminder when we share with each other stories of how the breath works that brings us back to kind of the truth. I'm always, um, you know, the, the, the sharing of truth, the sharing of these ideas. I'm fascinated by the concept. These women that I work with in the jail, by and large, uh, their life experience has not provided them any kind of language for any of this. Mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated. I had a, a woman a couple of weeks ago that um, was reading The Four Agreements by Don Miguel. And I was just like, it was like I looked and I thought, that's water amongst the desert or something. And I thought, how did that book get in the jail? I'm like, that's fantastic. Who are you and why are you in jail? You should certainly not be in jail. If you're reading the four agreements, <laughs> something is amiss. <laughs> that was really my first thought. <laughs> if you are evolved enough to be in jail, then why? why is it to read that? Why are you in jail? So um, 
so the, by majority, their, the life experience of the women in the jail haven't, hasn't given them this kind of connection between mind, body, and soul. Hasn't given them a language to understand this, you know, the four kingdoms of heaven. You know, it, it, their life experience has been such a human trauma, a human drama, you know, that they've never been able to get out of that loop of the first kingdom because they don't have the information. And I'm always uh, filling them up with, you know, information and trying to just, you know, douse them in all of this thinking pretty quickly because we don't have them very long. And I said, you know, the good news is you're getting all this. The bad news is you're getting all this because, you know, now, it, it, in strange ways, because of their life circumstances, it's going to be harder, quote, unquote, for them to maintain it to some extent because they're not going to have a science mind church down the street and they don't have uh, transportation or money for the bus or availability to get to a church or, you know, so... So in a strange way, by feeding all of this quote-unquote truth into their lives, it's like that kind of gets a kink in because now they know things they didn't know. Yeah, and we often talk about how once you know, mm-hmm. there's no turning back. Right. You can't unknow it. Right. And But if you don't, especially with this, kind of information, if you don't have people around you who can help you ex- help you understand it mm-hmm. and apply it, mm-hmm. then it's really easy to fall into false guilt. Right. Because what you have known in the past is you're good or you're bad, you do it right or you do it wrong, and now if you begin to start thinking, you know, from a responsibility and an engagement point of view, but the, your world isn't supporting that, then you think, I caused this? Co-creating, yeah. I caused this? I brought all of this upon myself? Without understanding, you actually have to look beyond the physical to the meta, to the metaphysical, to the intention the meaning behind it and not just to the literal physical but if you've grown up in an in a religious education or just the US culture where many things are very literal mm-hmm. then um, you know or at least we pretend like we pretend that we follow the, the literal words and verses and lessons in the Bible, mm-hmm. even though we really don't. I mean, read the, read the Ten Commandments, right? We, we, there are guidelines for how you should live, or all of the things that are abominations in Leviticus, in the Old, or in the Old Testament, um, you we know. We shouldn't have buttons, should we? And then we should have zippers or something. Yeah, right. And no <laughs> shellfish. Oh, you know, oh. no. I mean, so it's like you can't, we know we can't, we know that the Bible is not literal, but we act as if we think it is, with much of it. That's the gay part, and we think it's literal. Or, you know, even the idea of above and below heaven and earth, we actually, that's why we imagine God as a king that looks just like us, because we were made in the spiritual image and likeness of God. Um <laughs> Up in the clouds, mm-hmm. because when we look up as above, we see clouds. Yeah. 
And it's like, uh, what about your higher above, your higher nature <laughs> and below your physical nature, you know, the formless and the form. And there's so many different ways you could interpret above and below. Right. But we tend to, in mainstream culture, mainstream religion, look at it as above. Oh, there's clouds. God must be up there in the clouds looking down on me. Um, and we say God is love, but then we also say God is judgment. And so you better be good, and you right. better follow these Ten Commandments, right. or God right. will send you to hell. Right. And we we teach that in a literal way, in a you know way with images. Um, that makes it hard that when you then begin to know something additional to that, an enhancement or um, it's not that it's different, it's just a, a deeper way of understanding it. It can be confusing. And shifting the locus of power from the out to the in is, like you said, can be fraught with, fraught with danger in terms of, oh my goodness, how, you know, why on earth would I create this? And then if if I don't understand the meaning underneath it, um, it, it can be debilitating on some level until I spiritual or um, what's the right word? You know, this sort of trust, I don't know what trust is, but I guess it's trust that, you know, that all things are working for my highest good. So even if I look at these circumstances that I feel washed away in or feel overcome by or feel out of control of, if I can see those as kind of washing me towards this higher experience and looking at all of the experiences, you know, kind of like we talked about last week and I liked what she talked about, you know, when you take that really broad look and Amy... Grant has that amazing song about, you know, from God's perspective, you know, all things are beautiful, you know, even all these little things that seem really tragic and horrible. Mm-hmm. When you take that bigger view, it's, um, you know, it's a mystical, magical print. Yes, it is. <clears throat> and perhaps the breath is a way that I, that I maintain that higher view. You know, when I'm really consciously breathing, um, it, it it does, it, it, it even just, just taking a deeper breath now, it energizes, and it's also fascinating, kind of, um, you know, aromatherapy, or the idea of sense, which is funny too, at the jail yesterday, one of the officers, who's an interesting woman, she um, is uh, India, from yeah, and she has a really deep spirit about her. I just like being in her energy. And she had this little aromatherapy bottle, and she said, oh, smell this. And so I smelled it. It was ginger. And I just, I didn't really actually smell ginger in that concentrated form. And I, and it was like a, like a shot of something, you know. I mean, it just like lit up my brain, and I'm like, that's a happy smell. And she said, isn't that amazing? She's just like, you just take a little scent of that, and it just changes everything, doesn't it? Doesn't it just change everything? And I thought, it does. And I don't think about aromatherapy that much. I have a few friends that really do a lot of aromatherapy kinds of things. But it was amazing how just that scent, breathing in that scent, shifted, like, the chemicals in my brain 
Is that what cocaine does? Should I try that next? But, you know, the idea of breathing that in was really, it, it altered my moment. And that, that's just my breath, right? Just breathing in a It's fit. just another breath. Just another breath. But it's, it's, it's a breath holding something extraordinary. Ginger. You're breathing ginger? I have. Look at you. You are all that in a bag of chips there, Tracy. Ginger is one of my um, grounding scents and tastes. Really? So, oh, I don't mm-hmm. think I like the taste of ginger. And... Um, I I liked ginger, but I wasn't exposed to it that much growing up. Um, and then as I, well, in my really, I guess not until my mid to late thirties, I got exposed to, you know, organic ginger and ginger in a lot in a number of other forms, organic ginger tea and, oh, right. oh, um, yeah. and. Uh, you know, and found I liked it, and I gravitated toward it, but it was all just instinctive. Hmm. And then a friend went through, actually went through Deepak Chopra's through like a 10-day evaluation, week-long or 10-day evaluation. Heaven. And, and, you know, and this deep exposure to Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic principles and all of that and so he came back talking about all of this stuff and you know sharing some resources so when I went and read about my type my Uh physical type one of the things it said was ginger really was was something I should have more of and you know that I should use and the smell of it the taste of it the, the medicinal properties of it or the holistic properties of it medicinal in a positive way for me. And you were intuitively done And that. it was Come that on. along with four or five other things. It was like, oh, I wonder. I just kind of yeah. liked it. And I've always been able to pay when I'm paying attention, you know, yeah. and I, to listen to my oh. body and know what things, right? If I, that, so I wasn't told, I was surprised, but I wasn't totally shocked. It was more a confirmation that, yeah, Tracy, you really, you really do. You say you, you listen do to know your body, you just listen but to you really do pay attention. Sometimes you're aware of it and sometimes you're not. But I, I was telling my related to that and ginger and listening to it and allowing your body to be the breath of God speaking to you. I was in a conversation with my sister, or one of my sisters, or maybe both of them, and I made this comment about, yeah, I grew up and I always liked ginger snaps, but we didn't have them very much in my house. They weren't something that uh-huh. You know, my parent, my dad did the grocery shopping. He didn't buy ginger snaps. But somehow along the way, I found I liked ginger snaps. And so I would, like, sometimes I would buy them if I, you know, was in a little corner store and they, you know, had them and I had 50 cents or whatever. And uh, But then when I got older, like when I went to college, I would buy ginger snaps. Uh-huh. And, you know, other people would want chocolate cookies or Oreos or chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. And I would want ginger snaps. 
So I'm having saying this around my my sister and my uh, my oldest sister, and and she basically said we had ginger snaps. I bought them all the time. Uh uh-uh. uh Well, and that but she's ten years older than I am, and so what I realized is that that's probably the few times that I had it because she would have been in her twenties. Buying ginger snaps. I would have been ten. She would have brought them. Thinking, oh, I really like those, but I don't get them a lot. Because she would buy them, it wouldn't be like they were just in the pantry in the kitchen at home. I might have them if I'm with her, and that told me, you know, that's what made me realize I really, really liked the taste of ginger snaps. and and the other example that came to mind for me later, much, much later, I mean, this was just probably in the last six or seven years, the thing that my dad did used to buy around Christmas time every year, he would buy Sephardin cookies. What and, is that? Well, there are these little round cookies kind of rounded on the top, and they're small, and then they're coated with, what are they called? Sephardin? Sephardin? And ah, and they're coated with like white powdered sugar. Well, they've got to be good then. And they're delicious. I and um and and I used to really 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 look forward to those every Christmas. Not Christmas gifts or any of that. That wasn't you know a big deal for me at Christmas because I never got what I wanted. So. You know, so I learned really young it wasn't about the bitter. So, you know, and so it's like that that wasn't the big thing for me at right. Christmas because I just, I knew I'd get some gifts, but, you know, whatever, I'm going to get, I'm going to get. But he, that was part of that season, and he would always buy Sephardin's cookies, and I loved them. So about five or six years ago, I was, in a store around Christmas time, which is really rare for me because I don't celebrate Christmas, right? So, <laughs> so I was in a store around Christmas time, or maybe it was right after Christmas time, and I saw these Stephanie's cookies. And I was like, I have to buy those cookies because I used to love Stephanie's cookies, and I bought them. I brought them home. And when I was reading the label, Stephanie's cookies are ginger cookies with white powder sugar coating. Wow. See? And I had no idea. I, I mean, I was in my mid... That, but that is I was in good. my 50s so before yeah. I found out that the cookies I loved once a year and couldn't wait so, for were ginger cookies. See there? So now spell this, because uh, I've heard of this before, what you talked about that uh, Deepak does. Of what is it? Ayurvedic. Spell that mm-hmm. for me. Ayurvedic. Spell it for me. Can you spell it for me? I don't know. A Y. U R V E D I C Ayurvedic. See that the Vedic the Vedic Vedic is Indian Indian like India. Yeah. It's um the traditional indigenous like homeopathic right. approaches, natural approaches to medicine into life. See, that's what I, and I've heard of that years ago and on and off, but um, it just came to me that I need to pay attention to that. Perhaps I'll Google that later for myself and see. I'm hoping peppermint be something that I need to have more of. I like peppermint. I like ginger so much. Hoping that's not it. 
study peppermint. <laughs> well, there are Prep other chocolate. things. Perhaps <laughs> Diet Coke. The Diet Dr. Pepper be one? Um, I don't think Diet Dr. Pepper or uh, Coca-Cola mm-hmm. were around in the mm-hmm. traditional Vedic well, what uh, I love about that. spiritual, <laughs> spiritual tradition. Healing, yeah. Remember what I love about the idea of that, as in the breath of life, breath of life, breath of God, is that all that ancient wisdom, it was all very naturally available to us. I'm constantly drawn back to that. It's funny, I was chosen to do this sort of market research thing, which I love because it gives me free money. I consider it free money. It's just my time. But it was on uh, Insure and Boost. And, um, you know, all of my language around it was, you know, that's impure. And chemicals and, eek, bah, that's not natural. You know, we're, we're meant to, anything that we... Are meant to have is meant to grow naturally somehow. You know, surely all these chemicals that we mix together can't be helpful. Um, so it's kind of funny. It's like not very positive to tell these people, but I really do believe that, and I really am fascinated to have that kind of reaffirmed. I think when I look this up, it's like, how you how you doing? Are you ready? Are you ready? It sounds pretty I'm a Jewish. Are you ready? But, but it sounds like. Of course, everything we need, it grows from the ground. It's right there. You know, just turn around and pick that mint leaf up and suck on it, and that'll help your stomach or, you know, all the things that we need. Yeah, it is interesting. And when I think of, like, yeah, the the breath of God giving life, and that's as natural as me breathing in and and breathing out. And, um, And the breath of life being in everything that is God created. And so... Everything that is needed in this complex ecosystem, it has been created to support itself and other forms of life. Right. So it's no different than we breathe in the air and we pull out the oxygen of it and use that to power our system, and it goes through our own body, and what the lungs push out is the carbon dioxide. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. But the plants and the trees need need the carbon dioxide. See, God is thinking. And so everything we need for the sustenance of our body. I mean, it's funny. So many people I know are, oh, I I, want to say advocates, but really they're, Zealous? Yeah. Freaks. Not freaks, but zealous might fit. They are really, they're passionate about, um, you know, only eating whole, fresh fruits, organic. Right. um, Yeah. And and for the ones who are doing, you know, who are there mainly from a political point of view, that's one thing. But, you know... It makes sense that if we could, and if we would choose, yeah. I like the local ground. Yeah, that we could choose really fresh right. food yeah. versus all the processed food. Yeah. That we could choose to respond to things that are happening in our body right. with oils and herbs and, um, you know, naturally grown and expressed products, it makes sense. Yes, it just sort of seems like common sense, doesn't it? It makes so much sense that, yes, God has provided and is always providing 
Right. The answer is a right natural, there. A natural answer to every question, right. a natural response to every need. And at the same time, we have gotten in the U.S. or in the 21st century, and in any, you know, unless you're really living in an indigenous part of the world. Right. Those backwards, strange, odd people. Well, yeah, those <laughs> amazing. way smarter amazing, than any of us. Amazing, yes. simple Walking life. through walls kind of life, yes. But we have made it so complex and so complicated. And we've and removed expensive. ourselves. <laughs> expensive, absolutely. And we've removed ourselves. We don't live near the land right. to grow. Right, right. Um, you know, so sometimes I think, like, I have no, I have no affinity, no desire, no interest in planting or gardening or really chickens. If I didn't have cats, I want chickens for my own eggs. Yes, I would yeah, love I that. Mm. So, oh. mm, I have no. You ever eaten a fresh egg? I have. We have so removed ourselves from that. Yeah. But every now and then I think, you know, I have this great side yard that down the side of my house, and I live oh, on a know. corner, and so it's not like there's another house right there. It's, you know, and it's fenced in, and, and every now and then I think and I could have enough vegetables and fruits yeah. growing right there. Yeah. And herbs, I could. That's plenty of space. Come And then I think, yeah, that's a great idea, but I'm not doing it. Like maybe I should hire somebody <laughs> to, or or offer to somebody who wants a garden but lives in a in an apartment. Oh, now there you go. You know, it's like you Access can have space. the space, yeah. but you just have to provide me with Co-op food. Some of this. Yeah. You know, not have, not even fifty fifty, but just. That you, what I mean, you plant, that yeah, you, yeah. you know, no, that that's like your that rent idea. instead uh-huh. of, you know, rent. Mm-hmm. That's the rent. You buy the plants. You come however often you need to come. You have a key to the gate. You know, you come and I water them and plant urban them. communities now, urban, you know, they have right. lots mm-hmm. of that. It's very popular. Community gardens. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I could just. You know, because that's about the only way it will do. I have never, I can't, I have never been able to keep a plant alive that someone has given me. I have never planted a plant. You grew up with tomatoes. Oh, I grew up. My mother, my mother planted, um, my mother, I grew up in a house that had fresh tomatoes, fresh mint. Um, oh, lots of different kinds of roses, um, flowers, and all of that. you know, my mother planted such, and uh, and there were other things besides the tomatoes. I can picture the tomatoes right outside our back door, um, but there were other vegetables there, and we had a we had a peach tree. No, we didn't have a fig tree. We had a peach tree in our backyard, and we had. Yeah, so I mean, but I never learned any of that, and I and I I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I think that the gardening part, not only was it something that my mother, you know, knew probably because she was originally born in Mississippi, 
And so that connection to the land was probably something she experienced growing up, um, even though she moved no, to St. Louis. Louis. Um, well, she moved <laughs> to St. Louis pretty young. Uh-huh. So I don't know what in, in, in her growing up in St. Louis years, I don't know if they had gardens or anything. I don't know anything about her life as a child, really. And so... Um, but when in in the house I grew up in, she did. So I'm guessing that it was kind of her therapy. Yeah, sure. You know, of working a job, being married but unhappy, having raising having to raise five children. Um, you know, I think it was her therapy. Yeah. It was her grounding. Sure. So the fact that I didn't have any interest in it. I mean, it wasn't like she was inviting mm-hmm. any of us to help her or to teach us how to do it because um, I don't remember any of us out there doing any of that. And uh, <laughs> There it goes again. Yeah. So, well, no, no, no. I just, it, I didn't have any interest right. in it. But so I'm glad have. I wasn't made to do it. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't, no, come out here and help me in the garden because yeah. I didn't have any interest in doing it. Um, so, I don't know if, you know, if, I, I just don't remember seeing, like, either of my sisters out there working in the rose garden or... And there's an amazing, that's an amazing metaphor for the breath of life. Two things are living and growing, and, you know, you can see the sprouting, and you can see the whole metamorphosis of coming up from the seed, and then the little fruits coming off of the vine. There's a lot of metaphors for the breath of life in that. And it's interesting... Most of us, you know, in our age, probably had that experience or opportunity to have the experience, right? Because I don't think most kids today have gardens in the backyard, even if they have a backyard. That was terribly gross, like just a sweeping kind of judgment. That was but a, I, right. I, I, I think I'm right. I don't, I don't know. I know a lot of people. Do you know any people that have tomato plants in their backyard? Oh, yeah, I know a lot of people uh, who have gardens and who involve yeah, their no, flower plant. and vegetables mm-hmm. and herbs. A lot of people. Oh, and they people. have children yeah, and grandchildren and they... Um, you know, yeah, I think a lot of people do. Because it tastes so different. I really think that's the breath of mm-hmm. the breath of life coming through that is the freshness and the, you know, the, oh, gosh, you just can't even begin to, I can't even begin to eat anything if I really understood all that had happened. I can't yeah, ever I don't go see that know. movie, food, food Inc. Never, 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 never. I won't eat again. I'll, I'll just start. Because if I understood the processing of it, right? Because in, in some ways I'm thinking the processing is kind of like making it, you know, making the chemicals, it's putting the chemicals, it's pulling the chemicals into the nature. You know, the breath, the natural way of doing things is right there, and it's very life-sustaining, life-giving. Yeah. And then through the technology of all these things, it kind of like sucks that life right out of it, meets that banana that, you know, has no life force in it whatsoever. It's not really a banana. It's something sort of made to look like a banana in a warehouse. That's too dramatic. It's very dramatic. It's kind of a little too big brotherish, but and it's very truthful <laughs> of what it is We're that we 
experience that we have created. Right. So if that's a, and that's an interesting thing for me. It's you what we mean. have created versus what God has created. Yes. We have created using the quote unquote intelligence. But it's a little line, I think. But it it is our creation, not God's yes, creation. It's mm-hmm. our creation as if we believe we can enhance. That's right. And there's the go, right? And we can we can improve on that model. You know? I mean, my God, they didn't have any clothes on. I mean, we can improve on this model of what is perfect and pure and whole and loving and kind and gentle. And I saw, you know, a huge uh, writing, which I read seven sentences of, but I think I got the gist of it, but this concept of, you know, um, until our language starts going towards peace as the option versus war or intervention in a, you know, physical way, that that, you know, that we're sort of all kind of energetically doomed to this life experience that is not life enhancing, but pulling away from life. And, you know, our language is just so not about the breath of life. Just, you know, I can even tell in the women in the, in the jail, when they first come in, I do this, uh, what we call a pink group or a core experience the first week, and basically I'm just kind of infusing them with this idea of thought is cause and, you know, affirmations, you know, you, now you have the locus of power within, you can change your, your experience by your thought, you know, play the game, just see what you do, you know, get up in the morning, you have nothing but time, <laughs> and, you know, play the game and see what happens. And it's fascinating to watch physically the energy of the women shifts when they come in there's a certain energetic vibe around them and after those who choose to engage in the game literally changes their energetic vibe and and changes the tone of their voice changes how they speak and there's an excitement you know and it is and it is a literal shift and I think about the idea of breathing, you know, and all of us are breathing out something, right? We're either speaking peace or we're speaking war, we're speaking love, we're speaking fear, we're speaking whatever it is. It, it, the language, the um, what we're putting out into the ions of the experience is creating mm-hmm. other people's experience as well. You know, we're we're feeding each other. The real banana or the fake banana. Right. uh, It's all happening at the same time. And what am I listening to and what am I practicing? We haven't talked about spiritual practicing in quite some time. Yeah, what's that about? Perhaps the fact that I didn't do my 40th day. I told you about that catastrophic self sabotage. But I do have a second uh, 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 meditation practice from my spiritual teacher. It talks about focusing on on the flame of a candle, which I think is probably a very common kind of ancient meditation practice. But to do that, I think the key, if I really drill it down, I think the key is it's actually just the doing of it, because I'm supposed to do it in the morning and the night. So I don't really think the key is the flame or the chair or the table or the thing. You know, it's just the actual doing of it. It doesn't yeah. really matter how, but yeah, I can just, you know. So that's the idea of practice. The doing doesn't matter what the vehicle is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm, right. Focus on that breath. Just do it. Consistently. Consistently. Link to link to link to link. Right. 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 That's all. That is all it takes. 
there. Just pick something you can do that you are willing to do and do it. I had that conversation with someone this week. Like, I am so not attached to you doing it the way I do it. I am so not attached to to me coming up with the answer for you of what exactly you should do. I can make some suggestions, but what resonates with you? What feels like... What is your ginger? Yeah. Like, what feels like, oh, yeah, I think I'd enjoy that, or at least I wouldn't hate it. You know, so it's like, okay, good. So for the next week, just do that, that. every day. Unbelievable. And come back in a week and it's tell me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's different. Link to link to link. And, uh, and so, yeah, so often we try to force fit ourselves into somebody else's model, but, yeah, the, the reality is that we call it practice. We call it spiritual practice. For a reason. <laughs> so that we are practicing some way of being in constant connection. There's this interesting thing I did. Why am I all things jail today? But um, we did this exercise where the women wrote a letter to themselves from their higher power. Mm-hmm. Like, dear lesson. And what would my higher power say to me? And then love the divine. And so then you take that letter and you read it first thing when you wake up and right before you go to sleep. And you try, and you try, that's not even a word. And you do that for seven days. And um, it was fascinating, again, because you think about the breath of God, the connection to God, the relationship with God. I remember... 30 years ago when I started going to Al-Anon, one of my sponsors said, you know, you're, you have to create a relationship with God. So how do you create a relationship with anything? Well, you have to spend time. You have to get to know them. You know, who are they? What are the qualities of God? What are my qualities of God? You know, people have told me say the story that, you know, I called God euphoria for a while. You know, that relationship, and then that becomes my, my nature. My nature then shifts to it, right? That's a little letter. They got a lot out of that. And I think the connection, like you said, it's just doing different kinds of practices to see which one sticks for me. Yes. So allowing the breath of God to be the breath of your life. That is the, the idea. Uh, that's the idea. I read that. Good thing to do. So that's about all the time we have to talk about that today on Say Yes to Spirit. I'm glad you joined us. Don't forget to check out the archives and just scan the topics. Uh, Reorder them into alphabetical order if it's helpful for you and um, see what really speaks to you or what you'd like to be reinforced in your life. And then join us again the next time on Say Yes.
Alexa, play Imagine Dragons. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.